hear men sing. And so take your Bibles tonight. What a blessing. What an encouragement that was. We're in 2 Chronicles tonight. And uh, sometimes I, I've been talking about this roof, about how people aren't really excited about the roof. And I know sometimes when you read your Bible, you don't get excited about 2 Chronicles, but at least act like you are, all right? And it is one of our books in the Bible. And so if you would turn to the very first chapter, 2 Chronicles, the second book of the Chronicles. Now remember, I'll just say this before we get into our little bit of introduction. You see the books on the shelf there. Originally, some of these larger books like Kings and Samuel and Chronicles were one book or one, uh, really one scroll, but they were so large in quantity that what we see in our Bible is we have First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, so keep that in mind. And so if you look there at the, uh, the title that I gave tonight is, as it kind of uh, really dovetails right off of last week's, this is the book of Israel's final apostasy. Look at the very first verse. It'll give us a little bit of context, but the Bible says in Solomon... The son of David was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him. And look at this word, our theme this year, and magnified him exceedingly. Now, we've been talking about magnifying the Lord throughout this year, and we just want to stay focused on that. But tonight, we actually see where God magnified Solomon in the time that he gave him. And so as we think about that tonight, we get into our study. The name of the book is pretty much what we saw last week. The word chronicle is a word meaning a historical record that is arranged in chronological order. Now, again, I remind you a little bit, and, and this is, helps me, that when you look at our Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the books in our Bible are not necessarily in chronological order, but the events in this particular book are. And so keep that in mind as you're reading through it. <clears throat> but these are the, uh, the events of the children of Israel recorded in the chronic Chronicles, and they are recorded in order. Now, this book does connect with the previous book, First Chronicles. It is a sequel to First Chronicles, and it is also a supplement to first and second kings. So again, when we're reading our Bible, and that's part of why we're going through these books, is some of you may not have realized that, but now that you realize that, that second chronicles is a supplement to first and second kings, now you can maybe have all three of those out, and while you're reading through first and second kings, you can see some things in second chronicles or vice versa. So it does connect with the previous book. The contents of the book, we just read the verse there, it opens with the ascension of Solomon to David's throne. And of course, that was his father. And then notice his also his ascension to glory and wisdom. And so in other words, God allowed Solomon uh, the wisdom and of course the glory. And we understand that all of it was because of God. But <clears throat> the book contains a narrative of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. We talked about how the kingdom was divided, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. So in 2 Chronicles, it focuses on the kings, we'll see that in just a minute, of the, second kingdom, of the southern kingdom of Judah who reigned in succession 
until, notice how, uh, again, the focus, both of these uh, kingdoms ended up going into captivity. We've already seen that in the past. So this goes from, from the reign of those kings until they, were, they went into captivity in Babylon. It concludes with an ind indication of Cyrus's decree for the restoration of the Jews and, of course, the rebuilding of the temple. And that was a project that we see in another place in the Old Testament. Now look at that chart maybe on the back page of what you have or if you want to look on the screen, but just uh, I think these overviews are good. Maybe some of you are keeping these, and you can keep that out while you're reading your Bible. But if you notice on the left-hand side, you see that the book begins with Solomon. The Lord was with Solomon. Of course, you see the temple there and how he establishes himself, and, and of course, the construction, the dedication, and all the way till his death in chapter number 9. If you go to the bottom, Ernie, Notice that, again, you have Solomon's over the United Kingdom, but uh, the, the inauguration, his temple, and, of course, his glory, the building of the temple, all of that is how Second Chronicles begins. And we, again, see if we go back to First and Second Kings, we see some of that. When you go to the second main section of it, notice this is the successive kings. I mentioned earlier that these were all the kings of the, the southern kingdom, in succession until the Babylonian captivity. So you can see all of their names there. Notice in chapter 36, the last four kings, and then you see the captivity there. At the bottom of this section with the kings, of course, we see the southern kingdom, Judah. This was after the split, the rulers of Judah, and of course, the decline of the temple, which was never God's intent, but it is what happened at this particular time. At the end of the book, you can see again that this is the way it ends in chapter 36, the last chapter, the destruction there and, of course, the restoration. The bottom of that right there, if you go down, is, of course, the exile and the temple is destroyed. And again, this is, there's some amazing things that happen. I'm going to share a little bit with you as we get into this. Now, if you look on in your notes, the character of the book, this again is another one of those in the, the section known as the historical section. And the subject of the Second Chronicles is God's gracious and righteous dealings with the rule of David's house, that includes Solomon, from the building of the temple by Solomon until it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The purpose behind Second Chronicles is to teach us that our Lord and Savior is just as loving and faithful and merciful in chastening His children as He is in blessing them. In other words... God is not going to turn his head at sin. God's going to deal with his children. By the way, we never enjoy it, but aren't you glad God loves us enough to deal with us? And I'm glad that God is faithful in that area. List just as faithful as he is in his love toward us and so on. And I love the fact that, yes, God wants to bless us. But God cannot bless us while we are in disobedience, while we are doing things that would not please the Lord and so that is a great purpose behind it. Now look at Psalm 119, verse 75. The psalmist said, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in, that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Notice, he says, God, you have not stopped being who you are. You are a faithful God, and even though I'm doing something I should not, you are still faithful, and you've allowed this in my life because of something that I am doing. And we need to be mindful of that. Again, God's going to deal with us as sons. Now, this outline here, 
four parts to it. begins with the reign of Solomon. The first nine chapters, we see the worship of Solomon, the temple, the prayer of Solomon, and of course the prosperity, how God blessed him. In chapter number 10, it kind of turns, as you saw that main section on the chart, to the folly of Rehoboam in chapter number 10, and then the history of Judah and her kings, and we see all of those on that chart from the division of the kingdom all the way to the captivity. It covers a major portion of Second Chronicles, and then the last chapter we saw is the captivity and, of course, the restoration. So as you think about the, the chart, you think about that simple outline, the book, the scope of the book covers a period of about 450 years. So there's a lot of history right here when it comes to what happened to the southern kingdom. And the writer, it was likely that Ezra is the author or compiler of this book, as we saw that in First Chronicles. When was it written? It was likely during or shortly after the Babylonian captivity. Same uh, estimated dates as we saw with the first, uh, first Chronicles 586 to 538. And it was probably written somewhere in the land of Palestine, probably in Jerusalem. Now, when you get to the key chapter of the book, chapter number 7, it deals with the promises and the conditions for divine blessings. Now again, you know, I had mentioned earlier, 2 Chronicles sometimes may not be our book of choosing to read, but think about chapter 7, what it's about, the promises and the conditions for divine blessing. Sounds to me like it's a worthy read. I want God's blessing in my life. And so we see here some of the promises that God made to them. And Again, we learn much from the Old Testament. They were our examples. And then we see the conditions if we want God's blessing in our lives. Two verses, notice here in chapter 15, verse 2, last part of the verse, the Bible says, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. Notice that. He's with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. You hear the conditions there, how God wants to bless. By the way, God never leaves us. We walk away from him. That's why when we get right with God, guess what? All we have to do is go back to where we left God because God's right there. Remember what happened with the prodigal? He left. And when he got right, he came back. And guess what? His daddy was still there looking down the road, waiting for his son to come back. And I love that, how God is, is wanting to be with us. God wants to bless us. Notice chapter 20, verse 20. And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets so shall ye prosper. Now, I spent some time this afternoon with some of our newer members and folks thinking about joining the church. And I, one of the things that I did was I explained to them about what Bible doctrine is. And I was talking to them about the fact that, that just like those that, were, that, that heard the Word of God and they searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. And I challenged the folks 
that when you hear something, it may be here at church, it might be something you're reading, it might be something on the internet, that when you hear something, the very first thing that you ought to do is say, now listen, is that Bible? And then go to the Word of God. And if it's not in God's Word, then you need to leave that alone. And we need to make sure that we're always comparing what we hear and what we read with the Word of God. God's Word is the rule in our lives. We need to make sure that everything lines up with the Scriptures. The key word is the word established. The key phrase is prepareth his heart to seek God. We talked about how today Abram had to make some preparations. And he had to prepare his hands and prepare his head and prepare his heart. Well, listen, if our heart is not right, then certainly God will not be able to bless. If everything is right between my soul and the Savior, then God will bless. And we see this preparation of the heart to seek God. Second Chronicles chapter 30, look at verse 18. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And so Hezekiah's prayer is the good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. Listen, anytime you read your Bible, anytime you witness, come to church, whatever it is, every day you get up, you ought to do one thing, and that is you ought to prepare your heart to seek God. And the Bible says, as we just read, that when we seek Him, He will be found. God's not playing hide-and-go-seek. He wants us to know Him, to find Him. And so we see the key phrase is, prepareth his heart to seek God. Key thought is the history of the southern kingdom of Judah. You saw that on the chart. Uh, how so much happened in the king's that reigned in succession until the captivity. The spiritual thought is honor the king. Now again, God is the one that established it, allowed it to happen, and we understand even in our day, listen, you and I may not always agree or like who's in office, but remember, God is the one that sets up the higher powers. And so we need to make sure that we're praying. Listen, if we don't pray, then we'll get what we deserve. And so we need to make sure that we are honoring the king or honoring those that God has allowed to be in authority. Some very unique things. I love this book. There's some great things here. A couple of them that I picked out, and I want you to see them with me tonight. Notice, first of all, the greatest prescription for revival. You've seen this verse or verses over and over again, but let's break them down a little bit. Notice the verses, 2 Chronicles 7, verses 14 and 15. Let's read them together, all right? See those verses? All right, here we go. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Did you hear what God said? God says that mine eyes shall be open. And mine ears shall, notice, attent or be listening, be attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. Well, here's the greatest prescription for revival. You see it there in verse number 14. If my people, which are called by my name, here's the first part, will humble themselves. 
So God is looking for people of humility. Notice secondly is, and pray. Listen, we need to be humble and approach God in prayer. The third part of the prescription is, and seek my face. God, what would you have me to do? God, please uh, hold back your, your judgment on our nation. Seek my face, and then look at this, and turn from their wicked ways. That's forsaking sin, folks. And that's the prescription, a great prescription for revival. If you want personal revival, there's the prescription, is humble, prayer, seek God, forsake sin. Great section there in chapter number 7 of Second Chronicles. Also in chapter number 14 of this book, we see Asa's prayer. Matter of fact, turn with me in your Bible to chapter number 14. I want you to see some verses here. We'll look, actually, we'll just look at one verse, but notice verse number 11. The Bible says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not, let not man prevail against thee. Now, as Asa prayed, and again, listen, I understand, all of us, maybe when it comes to your prayer time, the way you approach God, how you pray, but if you're looking for a way to approach God, how to pray, here's a great model. Notice Asa's prayer was sincere. The Bible says he cried out. Notice it was not only sincere, but it was direct. He cried unto the Lord. He cried directly to God. It was to the point. He said, God, help us. Notice it was in faith, believing. And he says here in his prayer, we rest, notice the word, on thee. We rest on thee. And then notice, fifthly, is his prayer was answered. If you notice there in chapter number 14, look what the Bible says in verse number 12. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord. And before his host, and they carried away very much spoil. And they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them. And they spoiled all the cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. See how God, again, he answers the prayer of Asa, who prayed sincerely and directly to the point he prayed in faith, believing that God can and God will, as we saw Abraham this morning. And guess what? His prayer was answered. Tremendous passage there in chapter 14. Now take your Bible and turn over to chapter number 34 and 35, the last couple chapters, right before we get to chapter 36, the last chapter of the book. And I want you to notice another great section. And by the way, Notice there is a great emphasis in 2 Chronicles on revival. Here's another one right here is the revival under Josiah. Now, the Bible show, tells us here as we read this and we look back historically that after the death of Hezekiah, 
uh, the son, notice his son Manasseh, begins to reign. And the Bible says, if you go back and look, Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, he made Judah do worse than the Canaanites in the land. So as a result of that, it fell to Josiah's lot, listen, to clean up Manasseh's mess, to clean up the sin of Manasseh. Uh, You think in your life how there are times where maybe somebody might have done something and you have to come in behind them and try to right the wrong. Well, that's exactly what happened with Josiah. And guess what happened? Revival broke out. And I want you to see this, that because, listen, we've, we've said it here at our church before. And we, when you look at our nation and you look what's going on in our government, listen, God, God wants us to understand that the darker the night, the brighter the light. That, listen, it may, be, it may be dark today, but tomorrow the sun is coming up. And so as we think about what was going on during Manasseh's reign, where he made Judah do worse than the Canaanites in the land, Notice Josiah comes along, and look at verse number three. The Bible says, for in the eighth year of his reign. Notice, if you go back up to verse number one, how old was Josiah when he began to reign? He was eight. Where's Ezekiel? How old are you? Eight. Can you imagine? I I can't imagine, Rogan. Hey, I'll tell you what, Ezekiel, go home tonight, and we're going to make you the honorary king of your house. <laughs> I'm not coming by. I'm not coming by. <laughs> uh, every, listen, everybody laughs about it, but an eight-year-old. And the Bible says there in verse number one, he was eight when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. Look at verse two. He did that which was right. Look, do you grow weary of hearing people blame others for how they are? You know, I hear people all the time talk about how their their dad or their mom was. Listen, you make your own decisions. You live your own life. You don't have to be a product of maybe what you grew up in. God can change a life. God can change a home. You know, there was something about this eight-year-old boy. Think about that. Hey, listen, that's why I encourage those boys, get up there and sing in the choir, you know. Brother Kenny needs to get them boys involved. And, you know, they're over here singing louder than, than half the people in the church. Listen, I love to hear kids sing, you know, and it's, it's exciting to see. And that's what we see here is an eight-year-old boy. And look at verse 2 again. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, And look at the rest of the verse. And walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand or to the left. He was eight. He he wasn't going to be distracted. He wasn't going to look this way or this way. He was was determined as an eight-year-old. I'm going to do what's right in the sight of God. So when you look at this revival, look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. 
So notice the first thing we see is that Josiah, as a young man, sought the Lord. Then notice how as he was seeking the Lord, he began to purge, verse 3, Judah and Jerusalem from, from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Folks, that's all about idolatry. That's all about worshiping something other than God. And the Bible says in verse number 4, And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on, the, on high above them. And he cut down, and notice, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break, he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode them upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem, and so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, hey, he returned to Jerusalem. Sounds to me like he got a lot done. Sounds to me like he was trying to restore order, God's order, when it comes to who they were going to serve and who they were going to worship. Boy, when I think about that, a lot of people were probably thinking, this eight-year-old kid's gone crazy. He's gone mad. He's destroying and breaking everything. And so I notice here in your outline that the land was purged from idolatry. And then notice that, again, we read earlier, the ways of David were followed in verse number 2. And in verse number 8, the house of God, the Bible says, now in the 18th year of his reign. So here he is. He was 8. 8 plus 18 is what? 26. Brother Flynn knows his math. The rest of you don't. All right? 26 years old, what did he do? It, it, the Bible says in the, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and notice uh, Manasseh, the governor of the city, and Joash, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So listen, the church house was in disrepair. And he went in and he had somebody repair the house of God. And as the house of God was repaired, look in verse number 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord... Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by who? By Moses. You know what he found? Here it is. A slimline King James Bible. That's what he found. The Bible says he found a book. In other words, he found the book. He found the word of God. And so we notice here that as he sought the Lord, he purged the land from idolatry, began to follow the ways of David. The house of God was repaired. Then number five, the book was found. The word of God was found. And then notice as they found the word of God, look at verse 18. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Look in verse number 30. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the Levites, and all the people, great and small, and he read in their ears 
all. Notice what the Bible says. All the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Now, can you imagine if I stood here and read all the book to you? <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Whatever, however much of the Bible, and of course the New Testament wasn't anywhere around by this time, but nonetheless, these were the writings of Moses. Maybe it was the first five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, but the Bible says that, that as he was reading, that he read the Word of God. He read the book that, found, that was found. In other words, he honored the Word of God. Now, look at the next thing that happens is, as the Word was read, look at verse number 31. The king stood in his place, and he made a what? He made a covenant before the Lord. Now, here's his covenant. Now, listen, this was Josiah who had already who had already broke down the altars and already destroyed and had done so many things, had gone back to Jerusalem. Now look what it says. He stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord. And here's his covenant. To walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. In other words, he says, look, this is the way it's going to be. We are going to do right in the sight of God. The Bible says he caused all of them in Jerusalem and in Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their father. So what does Josiah do? He makes a covenant. And then the Bible says in verse 33, Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord the God of their fathers. And I say amen to that. Praise the Lord for somebody that will take a stand for God. He made a covenant. Notice what happens. Judah served the Lord. And then I like this. When you look at chapter 35, look at the Bible says that as he, they did not depart from following the Lord. Look at chapter 35. Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover under the Lord in Jerusalem. And they killed the Passover on the 14th day, the first month. And he set the priests in their charges and encouraged them to do the service of the house of the Lord. And said unto the Levites that taught all Israel, which were holy unto the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, did build. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. Serve now the Lord your God and his, and his people Israel." And prepare yourselves by the houses of your fathers after your courses, according to the writing of David, king of Israel, and according to the writing of Solomon, his son, and stand in the holy place, according to the divisions of the families of the fathers of your brethren, the people, and after the division of the families of the Levites, so kill the Passover and sanctify yourselves and prepare your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And Josiah gave to the people of the flock 
lambs, and kids, all for the Passover offering, for all that were present to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bullocks, these were of the king's substance. He gave them of his own for the Passover. Notice verse 8, and his princes gave willingly unto the people, to, uh, to the priest and to the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah and Jael, uh, rulers of the house of God, gave unto the priest for the Passover offerings 2,600 uh, 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 small um, cattle and 300 uh, oxen. And so you read on and on how, uh, verse number 11, they killed the Passover and the priests sprinkled the blood from their hands and the Levites flayed them. And the Bible says, again, when you look at this, that the Passover was established or reestablished, it was kept by Josiah. Again, this was a, a reminder of what God had done, how God had passed over them, how God had been blessing them. I love how you see this revival taking place. Folks, look, we need to get back to having revival in our day and, and asking God to work, but it's not going to happen as long as we have all these things in the place of God. And we see some tremendous things going on that began with an eight-year-old boy. And God certainly blessed through the life of Josiah. Now, Christ was magnified in many ways. A couple of them that I, I gave to you tonight is one, the Bible mentions that he is one greater than Solomon. Look in the New Testament, chapter uh, 12 of Matthew. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And certainly that indicates the coming uh, of the Lord. The earthly reign of Jesus will far outshine the riches and the glory of Solomon's day. And of course, it really threw many people the way Jesus did come. They expected that there would be fanfare, and that's why many missed the fact that he is one greater than Solomon. And, of course, we see many other indications in other places in the Bible. Notice also he is presented as the builder. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, making reference back to the Old Testament, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house, listen to this, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm, unto the end. Moses, the Bible clearly tells us here in the book of Hebrews, Moses had honor in God's house as a servant, but Christ, according to Hebrews, had more honor. Just as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself, Christ is the builder. And we need to see this. He is the one who has made the temple, and the temple today is what? It's our bodies. And the Lord has given us life. He's given us the sanctuary of our spirit, and I love the fact here that Christ is the builder. Now, when I look at this book, again, there's some great references to revival. Can our, uh, we see revival in our day like they saw in Josiah's day. I love what 
the songwriter said, yes, I really want revival. Yes, I really want God's power. I really want His Spirit to control my life this hour. Oh, I'm looking now to Jesus. I will seek His face and pray. For I really want revival. I am willing to obey. See, that's where it all starts in the heart. See, the church could have a real, old-fashioned revival one day if all the sleeping people would wake up and all the lukewarm people would fire up and all the dishonest people would confess up and all the disgruntled people would sweeten up and all the discouraged people would cheer up and all the depressed people would look up and all the separated people would make up and all the gossipers would shut up and all the dry bones would shake up and all the true soldiers would stand up and all the tightwads would pay up and all the church members would pray up, then the church just might have revival. And I hope that's what you really want. I want God to do a work in my heart. And I want to see God do a revival in my life. And that's what we need to be praying for. Listen, God used an eight-year-old boy. And God can use you and God can use me to bring about a change. And may we have a heart to see God work, to humbly seek his face. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a tremendous book study that we have in our Bible that many times we overlook. We see how you use some tremendous individuals to encourage others, Asa and Josiah and many others in this book. Thank you for the examples that we have to look to, to pattern our lives after. Lord, bless as we go out into this world this week. Use us for your honor and glory, and I pray, God, that no matter what everyone else around us is doing, no matter what our parents or those that have come before us have done, that, God, we would seek you, and we would do what you would have for us to do, which is what Josiah did. We would do that which is right in your sight. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.